All right, welcome to On the Bench. I'm Brendan Sinone. I'm joined today by Josh Newberg, Zach Blostein, and uh, we'll have Shemmer Vera, our hoops intern, on a little bit later as well. But uh, but let's get down to business, guys, because you know the, the world's melting down around us. There's viruses and stock market crashing, and it's a crazy place. But we have uh, we have your outlet here, and that's sounds on the bench. like just another day. To be honest, um, it depends on how invested you are in certain certain things. But uh, it will be it will be business as usual here as on the bench because we just want to be consistent and be the slightly above average podcast that we are. Damn it, you people deserve it. All right, there, there's a ton to get to because we have spring practice to go through. Uh, we have junior day. We have hoops winning an ACC regular season title. Uh, there's there's a lot of really great stuff happening in the world of FSU athletics right now. I think a fun place for us to start would just could be to backtrack a couple days from Friday. We were all together. We had FSU luncheon. I learned how to pronounce it. It's luncheon and got a chance to uh, not only interview some of the different coaches and players around the around the program, but also uh, also get a chance to talk to them off record. And and Josh, I'm going to start off with this because uh, it's your namesake. We got to interview Josh Storm, strength and conditioning coach. And uh, and that to me was was a blast. Yeah, he came in ready to go. Just that's how I want my strength coach. When he's given an interview, I want you to think that he just chewed up four Adderall and chased it with a Red Bull. <laughs> that is the energy that he needs to bring to spring practice day number one. Um, Storms was dialed in. It was good to hear from him. I'm glad he was there. Um, I mean, what was your impressions of him? He was at first. I didn't know. I hadn't seen him in person before. Or at least close up. I'd seen him at the tour duty drills, but I didn't know exactly what he was going to look like walking into the room. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure where he was. I didn't see him. We we're looking around, waiting to try to interview him. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he comes in. He is like Christ, six four, six five. Uh he looks exactly like what you think a strength and conditioning coach should look like. He's got the scraggly beard, uh, shaved head, uh, just looks like strong as well, a rock. He looks did exactly- you see what he was wearing? I mean, he was flexing on all of us. He comes in with a tight <laughs> Uh, two button polo that's like tucked in, but he was, then he's wearing shorts. And of course he's, he's got the thighs out just to let us all know, you know, he's putting us on notice. Like he does legs over here. It's not just <laughs> upper body. Um, but he was awesome, man. And, and you can tell it carried over to the football field the next day. And I'll know we'll get, we'll get into that. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but yeah, hey, the energy carried over. The energy was great. That's going to be a consistent theme that we talk about here on the bench today is energy because it's, just oozing out of this program right now. And I think in a really positive way, uh, I would, with, I would even go as far to say that it's palpable, Brendan. Apparently I used the word palpable a lot in my writing and Josh, uh, Josh made sure to, to remind me of that. Thanks. At least I did it in proper context. Yeah. I kept saying palatable, which was, <laughs> which wasn't the right thing, uh, with, with the gains. And I, I think that's one thing I want to focus on before we go into spring practice guys is, is coach Dorvell mentioned this, very proud. He said this team has gained almost almost 700 pounds total mm-hmm. since the since the start of, of the off season. I think it was 695. So it's about seven pounds per player. Now, not all guys are gaining weight. Bavion Johnson, for example, is someone who's down 15 pounds. Uh, but you look at Cam McDonald; he's up 21 pounds. Tamori and Terry said he was sick. Uh, he gained like 14 pounds. Got sick. What was what was it, Zach? He, he gained 15, yeah, lost he, 12, and then regained it. He gained like 16 pounds, lost 14, and then gained 12 back in like the past two weeks. <laughs> um, so I wrote about the the gains, and you know we've talked about this before. 
the strength and conditioning program is the lifeblood of a program. When things started to go awry for FSU under Jimbo Fisher, it was very much so uh, correlated and, and tied to Vic Valoria kind of losing the the culture of the weight room. And, and he had his DUI. It was very public. And it started with him uh, allegedly drinking on campus. And, and when the guy who's supposed to be accountable and, and have everyone else be accountable isn't held accountable, uh, it becomes a problem. And, and then FSU never really got it back under Willie Taggart and, and Coach Adorende, uh, who by all means not as qualified as as what Josh Storms is. So I say all this, Josh, I want to get your thoughts. We, we're talking about the gains, uh, the way the guys look. It's different. Uh, do we make too much of, of this, though? Because I've written about it two or three times already. I don't know if, if we're overblowing it or not. Part of me is is cognizant to not overhype it too much, but it does seem like there's legitimate results in such a short period of time. I think that's noteworthy. I mean, you could say yes and no. Um, are the uh, I do think I agree with you. I think the the results are noteworthy. Um, anytime that you get a new strength and conditioning program in, people are going to definitely want to know if if the guys are buying in. Um, but on the flip side of that, will it make a huge difference on the field? No, probably not. Not this season. Um, but moving forward, it probably will. So I like the fact that. Um, he shared those and was open and honest about it. And, you know, the guys that worked hard deserve the credit. And I, I will say this. Yeah, I, I think that's part of it is they want to build culture. So they want to give guys credit. They want to signify or, or show like who's gaining weight, who's doing what we're asking mm-hmm. them to do. Hence all those off season videos that, that the fans love. They want to show guys who are using proper technique with lifting. They're using a lot of motivational techniques to try to keep guys engaged. I, I will say this, Josh, we saw results almost instantly under Willie Taggart's staff as well. Now they were going more for lean. Uh, they wanted guys to be felt and kind of up for the up-tempo offense they were going to to do. They want to lose weight, get endurance up, and then start building muscle was the plan under Willie Taggart. The big variable to me is like, how does the progress that we've seen so far under this regime continue through not just spring, but yeah. in the off season? Because Willie had his guys progressed early on and then we saw them come back to, to fall camp and it looked like regression to be honest. Well, like some uh, offensive linemen looked really out of shape. I, I, when Willie Taggart took over, uh, he took over in December or November or whatever it was, the end of that month. Um, and then about two months in, it was Gasparo weekend here down here in Tampa. And I was out in Tampa and I bumped into three or four current FSU players that were just down for the weekend to celebrate and whatnot. And they all told me like, man, these workouts are tough. And uh, I think I've even told this on the pod, but one of them said that um, I said, what do you mean they're tough? What's so different? And basically guys were kind of at the end allowed to skip the Jimbo workouts. Um, uh, They just said there was a lot of it was in the players. It was in the players hands, whether or not they want to show up. And when Taggart arrived, I mean, they all said that it was harder. So we, we heard very similar things, which is why. Uh, this is only a piece of the puzzle of returning Florida State to where it is, but all signs are positive so far. I think that's a good way to to, to summarize it, Josh. Uh, let's see a few other topics that we want to talk about from the luncheon that were uh, luncheon. Sorry, damn it, I went back to luncheon. It just I need to write it out phonetically. Brendan, uh, why don't you just apologize at the top of the podcast? I apologize for everything I'm going to. I know. So why don't you just apologize one time at the top? Get it over with, and then let's just go on with the pod the rest of the way. That's a really good idea. I should just do that. Can I do that for each day when I wake up, like to my wife, what I'm going to do, to my friends, how I'm going to say things that are awkward? Uh, Let's just do it all, get it out of the way. I like it. All right. 
Akeem Dent out for the spring. He mm-hmm. suffered a, uh, I think it was either a foot or lower leg injury uh, at some point during the offseason conditioning or sometime in the offseason doing uh, doing team-involved stuff. So he's out for the spring. That's a bummer because I think we all wanted to see what yeah. he could do probably at cornerback. That's really the only significant injury update that Norvell provided, correct, guys? Uh, I'm not missing anything, right? That's correct, yeah. Okay. Hampson Nazarene did tell us that he was going to be limited uh, and that he hadn't done a whole lot of the tour duty stuff. He's doing more kind of injured reserve work. So Hampson did share that with us. Uh, so I don't feel bad sharing that. The only other thing I want to talk about with the luncheon is, uh, is Zach, you got to talk to coach meatball a little bit, anything there that you want to share. You got like one-on-one time with him, which was cool. I'm I, that's coach Carlos Lachlan, uh, the recruiting coordinator for FSU. Uh, what were your, uh, what were your thoughts on talking to coach meatball? Yeah, so his position is officially like director of high school relations. Oh yeah, thank thank um, you for, for correcting me gently. Yeah, yeah. I, I knew as soon as I said yeah, I was wrong, good. but I didn't want to apologize again. <laughs> um. So yeah. So he was really good. Um. Talked to him one on one. He kind of just explained his role as you know the director of high school relations. Kind of said that he's basically the go-to guy for high school coaches. Um. You know to get in tune with this program. You know to get involved and just he's the guy that's just providing that open door for these high school coaches to get involved. Um, and, and, you know, he, he went over some other stuff, which I'll break down later this week and probably, you know, I'll write up, write up a story about, you know, what he said, but he essentially went over the summer camps. Um, there were some good details in there. So stay tuned to, uh, to know 24 seven later this week when we'll have a, a full story on, you know, what, what coach Lachlan said. Expertise. Nicely done. I know we're going to get into spring practice here in a second, but Brendan, are we just going to ignore like the greatest part of the luncheon? We just not going to talk about on the podcast. What's the greatest part of the luncheon? I can't remember. What am uh, I missing? Just the fact that Gene Deckeroff sat at our table. Wait, where was I? <laughs> you were sitting next to me. You didn't notice? No, you were sitting right, right next to Brendan. Hey, guys, listen, I don't want to, I don't want to like share too much information, but. I go to the bathroom a lot during football games and Gene Deckerhoff does too. And we talk to each oh, other quite oh. a bit urinals. So I don't want to big time you, but I just see Gene as just kind of like a normal thing. I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I'm not around Gene as much as you guys. So it was just, I was like trying to do my thing, like get ready to do these interviews. And I was kind of watching um, my phone and my computer screen and I kept hearing Gene's voice, but he, it was just funny because he was talking about regular things. <laughs> and the only time you hear Gene is like when he's, Oh, you know, they're pounding the football down the field and he's doing all his uh, great Decker offisms. But it was funny to hear Gene at our table just talking about normal stuff. I remember now. I remember what he was talking about. I can't repeat it, though. But I remember now the conversation <laughs> struck me. We'll share it uh, off air later. But I do recall exactly uh, what he was saying. That was funny. It's hard funny to concentrate. We paid Gene Decker off at our table. Just wanted to just wanted to talk about that. Gosh, gotcha. a little fanboy for a minute. Yeah. All right. Well, one more fanboy thing. <laughs> I have this in my notes. Uh, Josh, I get the feeling, you correct me if I'm wrong, you're smitten by this coaching staff. Like, I think, <laughs> like, this is usually the Chris Knee, like, smitten portion of, like, a relationship where he's all, like, all in and, and drinking the Kool-Aid. Man, I got the feeling that you're uh, you're pulling a Chris right now. You're the smitten one. I would use, I would not use, I would have never used that word to describe well, how I feel. Uh, I, would, I would use the word reinvigorated. And the reason I use the word reinvigorated is because, I am excited about this staff. Um, I love the way that, you know, we've been working with the, not just Mike Norvell and his assistant coaches, but really everybody, people that we didn't even have great relationships before this. We now have good relationships with them and it's due in part because of Mike Norvell. 
Um, I'll say this though about the coaching staff, as much as I'm, I like them personally, as much as I'm optimistic that they're going to do a good job. And as much as I'm reinvigorated to do my job, I'm still very cautiously optimistic. Um, having had a good relationship with the past staff and, you know, having gone all in on them immediately, uh, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, pumping the brakes a little bit just in terms of how my personal relationship affects the way that I comment or report on the team. Um, You've been hurt before. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, I'm 37 years old and and not married. I have commitment issues, Brendan. I'm not just going to (laughs) give into the staff after two months. Is your, is your girlfriend listening to this podcast or does she ever listen? We'll edit that part out for you. She's at work. Um, And I don't apologize, Brendan. That's, that's a apparently an admirable trait in your mind. It's probably one of the things you hate about me the most. It's very well, high on the list. Let's turn the page. It was an exciting day on Saturday. Uh, practice started at 9 a.m. So I wanted to get your impressions, just your rundown of day one, Florida State football spring practice. All right. So the, the big word for me is energy. I thought it was palpable Josh <laughs> from from the get-go there was a ton of energy and attention to detail and uh, you know I think that's a storyline for a reason like it's a storyline because that's what a lot of people want to know is what's the vibe like at practice and what's the attention to detail because that was so lacking under the previous regime at the same time it's not a storyline that was uh, arbitrarily made up or or stoked to flames like when we talk to players after practice they were gushing over it. They weren't led into like, oh, is this more detailed or more focused or or more detail-oriented practice? Like, no, this is what James Blackman said. This is what Jordan Travis said. This is what Jaden Lars Woodby said. Like, those guys offered up to, when they were asked what was different. That's what they're noticing about the program. They see it as being much more meticulous. And that all starts with Mike Norvell. That, that's one of the things that I took away from, from day one is, one, again, the energy for him as he's coming out. He's fired up. He's clearly the face of the program. He wants everyone to kind of follow his lead. But then as he's going through drill to drill, guys, he was, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but he, his attention to detail, like he's looking at little things and correcting them as they're happening. Uh, but he's saying it in a way that like he kind of seamlessly transitions from being a teacher where he's telling you why you messed something up, like why you did something incorrectly and then telling you how to fix it and why he's telling you mm-hmm. that way. Then going to coaching where he'll like chew your ass out if you're doing something wrong or not doing it the right way. Like he, he's seen things, you know, he was, Chris Thompson described him as having a photographic memory to for us. And, and I could see that he's just operating at a very high efficient level in the way he sees and do things. That's encouraging. The, the only other thing I'll say in, in just day one, they weren't in pads. There's only so much we can take away, but uh, you could see the guys responding to the energy. The coaching steps seemed very buttoned up. Uh, I like what I saw overall guys again, one day, but, but it was Josh, you said this earlier. It was refreshing. It was revitalizing. It was, it was different in a very noticeable and and impactful way to me. Yeah. And a lot of the things that you said were on point, and I agree with a lot of them. Um, just to add to some of the observations that I made, and these are, like you said, there weren't pads on. So the observations about the team talent level and everything is still kind of a projection in our eyes. <clears throat> but what was evident is that these guys have worked together. You can tell that they've spent hours and hours and hours together on a football field. When I was watching them do those tempo tempo drills on offense and on defense, really, um, the, the, the speed at which everybody was moving, 
and not just moving during the play, but moving on to the next drill. Like everybody was in sync. Um, they all moved as if they were moving together, uh, talking about not just the coaching staff, but also for the first time I saw a lot of the GAs and, and, and mm-hmm. those guys way more active. Um, but it wasn't frantic, Josh, right? Like that's what I took away. It wasn't the first day of spring under Willie was frantic because they were trying to teach him tempo. Like this was all controlled speed to me. Yeah, and 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 like I said, and the reason why I feel like it was more synced up is because they would go from drill to drill to drill to drill and and not miss a beat. Um, and any time this is their first time at Florida State all together. But what I meant was like you can tell that these individuals have just spent a lot of time together coaching. Um, so there's not going to be that sort of hurdle to overcome when you bring together a new staff. You know, Willie Taggart had a couple guys, especially on offense, like Greg Fry and Walt Bell, two of the most important position <laughs> coaches on the field to, to synchronize an offense. They'd never worked together, nor with Willie Taggart. Um, and I think that was a big problem. And and it takes more time to overcome, whereas Mike Norvell slid into a system and brought in coaches that he's worked with, that he trusts, that also trust him and are familiar with how he does things. And that showed during day one. I, I agree. It was pretty, it was buttoned up guys. That, mm-hmm. that was, that was how I, when I wrote about it afterwards, uh, buttoned up was one of the ways I used it because it just was one of the phrases I used because it was so efficient. Zach, you were there for, I believe the, the early parts. And I know you had to get over to cover recruiting. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, want to get your thoughts really quickly on on what you saw from from day one in terms of just I don't know what what stood out to you I mean I literally I did not step on the practice field I was over by the more the entire time um but I actually did speak to recruits about it I pretty much asked every recruit that I um that we interviewed you know about their thoughts on practice and they all mentioned um you know even though there were some sloppy mistakes just because it was the first day they all mentioned the intensity um, level at the practices and how, how high it was. Um, and, and they noted Coach Norvell's attention to detail. And that's kind of just my thoughts, I guess. Um, you know, obviously later this spring I'll get a chance to get out there. But, um, you know, with so many kids on campus, I was kind of focused on the junior day more, more so than the spring practice. So, but, but that's my stance on it, just, just from the recruits' perspective. You know what that reminded me of, Zach? You mentioned – the organization of it, but also some, some things need to be fixed because there was so much going on. And, and I wanted to to share this. Like I had talked to someone uh, who's pretty knowledgeable of football before practice and kind of had an idea of what this was going to look like, what day one under coach Norvell was going to look like. And he, he said, it's going to be a little messy at times because he's going to throw a lot at them. But this, in his mind, he had came in trying to learn about, you know, with the, uh, Basically, he's a high school coach and had a chance to to kind of see some of the behind the scenes stuff this weekend. Uh, he came in with high expectations. He left even more wowed and impressed and wants to get more of his like coaching staff back to Florida State later on because of of how things were run. So he said it was going to be a little a little sloppy at times. And I didn't see a ton of that. I know Coach Norvell did, and even like the way some of the team managers were were not as efficient as he would like. But uh, I think the long-term vision that Norvell has, the fact that he was willing to put so much on his team's plate day one and then kind of scale back and see what they can handle and can't handle, uh, man, again, it's it's sensible and it's stuff that, that just kind of feels right and feels like a normal, high-functioning Power 5 football program. It's been a while since 
since we've been able to to consistently say that. Uh, Brandon, before we move on, I want to I want to get into a little bit uh, to the nitty gritty, like guys yeah. that stood out, um, especially the quarterback room. Let's just start there. What was your opinion? What did you see at quarterback? James Blackman is the best quarterback that they have at the moment. Uh, I, I'm interested to, interested to see what Tate Rotomaker becomes. He throws a really nice football, uh, but it's just not consistent with, with his accuracy and where he wants to get it all the time. I think that kind of comes with as he's reshaping his body, as he gets used to playing uh, at a higher level, higher speed, kind of understanding where he can, what he can and can't do with fitting the ball in a tight window, those kind of things. You know, Jordan Travis was fine on underneath patterns, but like I didn't see a ton of the the arm strength. That's still TBD for me. I don't know if it exists or not. We just haven't had a chance to see it. James Blackman is clearly quarterback one right now. He's going to have every opportunity to kind of hold that throughout the spring. Uh, some consistency issues at times, but when he got in a rhythm, got in a groove during seven on sevens and one on ones as the day progressed, you, you could tell he he throws the best ball. He throws with the most confidence. Uh, for him, the key is going to be consistency because he doesn't always have that. And and so yeah, I think that James right now, I, I don't foresee there being a quarterback battle, true one really going throughout the spring. That that's not something I envision right now. No, I agree, and I kept an eye on. Um... I kept an eye on the offensive line for the for the first 15 minutes that I was in there. I shot a lot of film on them. Um, you could tell Alex Atkins was really into his coaching mode. Um, <laughs> there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of yelling and screaming going on, but there was a lot of teaching going on. And I noticed that he he was very hands on with Baby on Johnson about his stance, about his balance. Um, almost you know as you should starting off with the very basics and getting them going from there. Um, Andrew Baselli as well. I saw, uh, I got to look at Devonte Love Taylor. Um, oh. not exactly the, the bona fide tackle that I, that I thought body wise. Um, I, I expect him to be a little bit longer. He does look, you know, if, if it's a, if it's a well-built offensive line, I would definitely think that Taylor would play guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he did, he worked at both tackle spots and at guard. So I think that, and this is just in, in day one, but I think that there is some versatility there and that we might see him move around a little bit, especially if needed, but um, mm-hmm. probably going to work primarily at tackle. Ira Henry worked in at guard. We've all kind of, you know, we thought maybe he could be a tackle, but once we saw him in person and, and got to know him a little bit better, he looks like he definitely projects as a guard. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how this unit keeps on moving forward. Uh, well, any other takeaways uh, on the offensive side of the ball for you, Brendan? Chaz Neal left tackle. Uh, we'll see what, what Chaz can do. He, you know, funny, Chaz passes the eye test. He does. Um, it's just a matter of, of him still kind of putting it all, all together. I think the other thing on offense that I look at, there's two two main concerns. One is still the offensive line. Like, I, I'm not sure what that's going to look like. It's almost impossible, Josh, to evaluate – what that unit is going to be based on one day of practice. Uh, the defensive line's always ahead of the offensive line this time of year, especially when you don't even have pads on and you can't grab a guy and, and turn them the way you normally would. So they're at a big disadvantage, but but they're clearly like trying to piece together a functioning offensive line. And, and I don't know if they have enough like legitimate mm-hmm. power five bodies on the line right now to do that, especially with some of the injuries they have. The other area that that is a concern I think the strength of the offense right now is clearly at wide receiver. It's Tamori yeah. on Terry. Uh, Jordan Young and Warren Thompson both flashed. 
especially Warren Thompson, which he always seems to do. Uh, but I don't know like where the playmaking ability is uh, overall on the offense. I think Jay Sean Corbin could be that guy, but obviously you have the variable of the hamstring. He looked really, really good out there on Monday or sorry, on, on Saturday. He he looked really sharp uh, with his route running, great hands. So you kind of see why he's that multi-purpose running back uh, and was bigger than I thought too. But yeah, I, I don't know if they have a lot of dynamic playmakers in the fold right now, outside of some of the you know, upside they have at, at wide receiver. So the offense is pretty far behind the defense uh, kind of going uh, and, into and the season. Hit, I was watching running back. I, I filmed some of that and put it up as well on the, on the website on Knowles 24 seven. But the thing I, I was watching the offense, the running back group and, you know, take Jay Sean Corbin out of it because we're still not sure if he's going to be eligible or not, but you take him out of it. I'm just looking at this room and I'm, I'm thinking like, how did we get here? How did the running back room at Florida state get this bad? You want to know how it happened, Joshua? I got I got it. I know why. They were insistent on the past staff that they had to recruit not just running backs, but they had to be running backs in the realm of Cam Akers or Dalvin Cook. That was the standard. So they aimed very, very high. That obviously did not materialize. And then they thought it was okay to then go. They just had Anthony Grant one year, which was fine. That was year one. Anthony Grant has shown some glimpses. We don't know what he's going to be. He looks like someone that still has a ways to go after not playing Yeah, he looks like somebody that didn't play football for a year. Right. Exactly so so that's that's a major unknown. They went an entire recruiting cycle without signing a running back I'll or stop. wide receiver. Just I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just You're saying. Just being negative. You want to uh, know but, how you get to this you know, position, that's and how. look, Kalen Laborn, he looks like a million bucks out there. Don't get me wrong. But he's been wildly inconsistent, not just his play on the field, not just his injuries, but his ability to stay on the team, not get suspended, not you know keep his grades in order. So there's just a lot of variables going on with that number four. And then the rest of the the rest of the guys, you know, they they're not the, they don't look like a typical running back. What you see in a, in a typical Florida State running back room. It's just, I think, it, I think Corbin could be that guy if if we know he's healthy 100% and if you know he's going to be eligible this year. I, I think Corbin has that potential. And he's also coming off of a major injury. Right, you know, so. right. So unknowns, yes. Yeah. Let's move it over to the defensive side of the ball. It was great to see Marvin Wilson out there. Um, he's had just hedge and shoulders. That's the size and athleticism that Florida State needs on defense. Um <laughs> Talk about what you saw a little bit. I know you focused a lot of your time on the defensive side of the ball. The clip that you had, I think it was you, Josh, that you had of Marvin Wilson turning a corner and doing like some, mm-hmm. some bag drills. Like they talked about him being one of the main guys who's reshaped his body this off season. And, and Josh Storm said, you know, it may not always be about pounds. Like that's what we're focusing on. And that's fun. And, and that's obviously shows like some, some really good signs of, of progress, but Marvin Wilson is a guy who has transformed his body only gained one pound, but redistributing fat to muscle essentially is what he's saying. Uh, Marvin looked explosive turning, turning the corner uh, and the bag drills, like for a guy who's you know, well above 300 pounds, uh, that's where everything starts on defense for them. It's going to be in the middle of the defense. Marvin Wilson looks like a million bucks. Robert Cooper had a really good day. He was dominant. Like when they went, when they went good on good, uh, they couldn't do anything because because him and Marv were just so disruptive inside. I, I got a chance. I kind of wanted to focus on the defensive line during individual drills because 
it was interesting. Odell Hagens isn't a hundred percent. He's, he's recovering from an off season uh, knee surgery, I think knee replacement surgery. So he's on, he's on a golf cart. Uh, he's given instructions to both John Papuchas, who's working with the defensive line at defensive end. And then Clinton McMillan as a senior defensive analyst, who's, who's helping out uh, with that on field uh, instructions, like very, very diligently because Odell is, is not a hundred percent. So I want to kind of watch it and how those guys were all operating together. It was fun to see Odell. He's sitting on the golf cart. People are coming up saying hi to him, like at practice at times too. And he's just like laser focused. He was like, he was a celebrity, but he was laser focused on the players and like the technique. Like he's throwing his hands in the air and showing the coaches like, Hey, put, make sure they put their hands here. And again, you mentioned fundamentals for the offensive line. Josh is very much so the same on the other side of the ball. They were focused on just little things. And this is so Odell Hagan's is like, like hand placement, uh, the, the amount of like wrist bend that you want to have when fending off of fending off a block. This is all about fundamentals throughout the entire defensive side of the ball. Chris Marv, man, he had a ton of energy. Like he was drenched in sweat. Uh, by the time, like I started off with the defensive line, by the time we were like three segments in like 15, 20 minutes into practice, I go over to the linebackers. Marv is drenched in sweat already. So it was, a uh, you know, it's a good looking group. I, I think that they have good depth on uh, just about every level of the defense. We'll have to see at defensive end. Uh, Quayshon Fuller looked pretty good there uh, just in terms of physically, like he looks more like what the high end four star recruit looked like rather than the guy who was kind of transitioning to an interior defensive lineman a year ago. Uh, linebackers, that group looks good. They had Jaden Lars or they had Jaden Lars would be up at safety. That means Amari Gaynor is going to kind of get a look at the stud role initially and have him playing out in space. Him and Kalen Deloach. Uh, so I'm curious to see how some of these position groups kind of come together. But uh, the the defense, I think, is going to clearly be the strength of, of this team going into 2020. Okay, I think that's everything for spring practice day one. We'll be out there on Tuesday. Chris and myself, I don't know, Zachary, are you going to be there? Zach, you've been a trooper, by the way. Hi, buddy. Are you still around? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know right now. I think okay. maybe I'll head out for, like, the, the end portion, but I have class that might interfere with that. Well, you know, that that is important. You need a, an education. So let's take a quick break, and then we'll go to recruiting. That's something that Zach has a ton of information on. So we'll be back after the break, and we'll also have a little hoops talk as well. Stick with us on the bench. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. 
Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash rs10 today. All right, we're back. And before we get to recruiting talk, we uh, we want to talk about hoops. Hoops has been uh, fantastic all season. And uh, and the men's team just did something that it's never done before. And that's win the ACC regular season. Uh, no asterisks, no tied for first place. That was an outright win. And that was basically sealed and, and done on Saturday. FSU beat Boston College 80 to 62. Uh, so they have the outright win of the ACC regular season title. They'll be the number one seed in the ACC tournament. Right before we started uh, started recording this podcast, FSU was ranked number four in both polls. So to have us talk about basically the whole uh, enchilada here, everything about FSU's hoops, uh, we're going to have Shem Rivera, our intern extraordinaire. He's been awesome covering FSU hoops for us the last two seasons. Shem, welcome to On the Bench. How's it going, buddy? Going pretty good, man. Can't complain. Yeah, you're you're covering uh you're covering the best the best uh athletic program or the best uh, team in the entire athletic program right now. So that's it's good stuff and it's been fun, I'm sure. Uh, did I hit everything I needed to in that intro? Was that appropriate? Yeah, you, yeah, you did. Um, one of the things I wanted to point out was the fact that FSU is now uh, ranked number four. This is the first time in history, um, ever since joining the conference and you know not eat. And, you know, ever since the, the ACC has been formed. So um, this is a big accomplishment for, for Leonard Hamilton's team. Like, mm-hmm. just coming off of a regular season um, championship, you know, it, 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 just, it, just, it just states what this team is capable of and where this program has been developing and, you know, where they can go. Um, FSU has definitely made a statement, man, yeah. throughout this, like, regular season, showing that, hey, these guys are the real deal and they're ready to stay. You know, when, they're ready to compete against these top dogs. Shem, d- during the season, when when did you kind of realize, you said FSU's for real, when did, when was the, the moment you were like, oh, this team is not just like NCAA tournament good, but like when mm-hmm. when the ACC, like when was that realization for you covering this team? Well, the realization was when I traveled to Gainesville um, against, I believe it was number six ranked Florida. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of, you know, preseason hype. We were still unranked. Um, and, you know, Florida was a, a number six uh, preseason ranked team. And, you know, they have a lot of four stars, five stars, uh, three stars on their team. And our guys went over there and literally handled business through and through on the offensive end and the defensive end. And I was like, wait, these guys are serious. <laughs> they ignored all the hype about anything that anyone was saying. They went out there and they got a great top 10 win in the first couple games of the season. And I was like, yep, I think this is going to be that year. Well, you were, uh, you were correct. It's been an amazing year so far. Uh, can you, mm-hmm. you were there on Saturday when FSU beat Boston college, yeah. you were on the floor to get awesome video. Mm-hmm. We have that at Knowles 24 seven uh, for the people who mm-hmm. haven't seen it yet. Tell them please, Shem, what, what they're missing and what that, and what that environment was like for you being, being there in person. Yeah. I mean, just being there, was honestly an honor and a privilege because if anyone knows FSU hoops, they know that they have come a long way. And this season is not even a pinnacle. This is the beginning of what FSU is going to be about. I can honestly say that this school is changing into a a basketball, a, a basketball school and being in that environment, with so many people there supporting, and the fact that the student section has been sold out literally every single game in the ACC and conference play, 
is just outstanding. Their supporters have been amazing throughout this whole season. And for them to come and consistently show out, especially during senior day, you know, to, to send Trent Forrest off, it, it, it was just one of those things, man, like you wanted to to cry. Like your heart is warm, everyone's cheering, the the the, the guys are playing well, they're still playing team ball, no one's being like being selfish. That atmosphere was just great. And when when they were at the end of the game, I mean FSU controlled the whole game. They controlled their way throughout the whole game. So we knew we were gonna um, that they were gonna win. After the game, the emotions from Coach Leonard Hamilton was was just outstanding. He he deserves it. He needed it, and the whole team just seemed just they just seemed so engaged and so happy for each other. No selfish players on the team. Shem, what what did what did what did Ham's you mentioned Ham's emotions? What did those look like? Like what what does a emotional Leonard Hamilton look like? Well. Coach Leonard Hamilton, he does a great job of not showing his emotions. He always has a, a straight face on, and he never wants anyone to see, you know, uh, a bad side or, you know, whatnot. On Saturday, Coach Hamilton, his face, you can just tell it was a sigh of relief. He felt great that he was able to accomplish this. And he is not the type of guy or the type of coach to brag about any accomplishments that he's, that he's uh, gotten or, or has. But Saturday, you can just tell from the look on his face and the smile that he's had throughout the entire ceremony that he wanted that, like, extremely bad. And he was passionate about everything about this team. It was, it was amazing. It was amazing just to watch it. Hey, Shem, what's up? It's Newberg. How you doing? Doing pretty good. Um, I just want to say thank you for that post game video. What happened was mm-hmm. Chris Knee, you know, was covering the game, and and uh, I was back at the hotel after covering Junior Day, and he dropped mm-hmm. a YouTube link in in our group chat and said, "Hey, can somebody handle this?" And I saw it was like nine minutes long, and I'm like, I'm just like, geez, what is this, you know? And yeah. um, I went to, I clicked on it, and it it was your post game video, and I just want to say mm-hmm. thank you for that. Um, I ended up watching all – I knew exactly what it was, but I ended up watching all nine minutes of it. And uh, props to you, man. You really got up in the mix. I literally felt like I was, like, under the basket watching Ham cut the nets down. Yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> and to your point, I've never really seen – I mean, obviously we've seen Ham laugh and joke and, and smile yeah. at times. But, like, the way he he went from standing down on the court with a smile from cheek to cheek to going up and mm-hmm. cutting it down, putting it around his neck. I mean, have you ever seen Coach Hamilton act like that? Never, never in my four years being here at FSU. And and I I honestly, I, I had a, a, a warm spot in my heart when I seen mm-hmm. him, you know, just smiling. But the, he had the biggest smile on his face. And then he still wore the net around his neck um, during the post during the post game conference. Like, Man, he, he, you know he deserves it, man. It, it was an awesome feeling, an awesome sighting, and I'm glad like I was able to you know, be there to capture that moment. All right, so in your opinion, um, how, does, how does Florida State go from riding this incredible high and accomplishing mm-hmm. a feat that they've never done before to refocusing for the, for the tournament? 
Well, the thing is, this team has done an exceptional job of, uh, you know, finishing things one day and getting their mindset ready for the next. Coach Leonard Hamilton has always emphasized that even if they take a loss, they, that they can learn something from it. And he wants them to enjoy the moment, but he also wants them to, you know, focus in and lock in because this is not, this is not the, the, the biggest thing that they can accomplish this season. And moving forward for the ACC tournament, um, this team, they, they, their depth is just, it's too, it's too incredible to count them out of anything. With this team, anything literally can happen. They, they're honestly uh, a well-sound uh, top two seed in the tournament. Even for the ACC tournament, you know, they, they, they can pull things off. Um, they showed that they're able to hang with Duke when they went to Duke. The only reason that they, you know, pretty much uh, lost that game was because of uh, poor free throw shooting and poor shooting on the perimeter. Anything else, they, they lost by five points. It, this, this team has proven in and out throughout this whole season that they can, peak, can compete with anyone and that they can play as many people as they can because everyone's going to come in and give it that same energy. So it's not, you can't count them out. It, the sky's the limit to this team. Shem, last question from us, then we'll let you run, dude. Uh, you, you mentioned yeah. FSU being the number number two seed, and I think that's in the in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. That's where most projections have them as a yeah. two seed. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would it take? Like, could they still become a number one? I mean, they're ranked top four in AP in the USA Today coaches poll. So yeah. I'm assuming that that there's an outside shot if they handle business in the ACC tournament mm-hmm. that we could be looking at a number one seed possibly. Yeah. Um... This team, they're on the bubble for number one seed. You could tell by uh, the projections. Um, the only, the only thing that will for sure have them in tight consideration for the number one seed if they uh, win win out the ACC tournament. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That'll that'll do it. It's so crazy. You say on the bubble to be a number one seed. And when I first started covering FSU, I was at the Orlando Sentinel, and and I had to cover everything. So it wasn't just football. Mm-hmm basketball too and and that was a team mm-hmm. that was trying to just make it on the bubble of ncaa tournaments and now here we are talking right. about them having a chance of of being the number one seed it's crazy how quickly it's happened yeah it's amazing all yeah. right Shen. and um and i'll be i'll be in uh greensboro north carolina this week, uh, covering the team with chris so all right um, yeah well that's that's that's, that's, a, that's a cool experience yeah you enjoy beautiful greensboro north carolina it's mm-hmm. gorgeous there. there's so much to do I'm I'm being yeah, sarcastic. Definitely. I'm being sarcastic, but you'll oh, have fun. Oh, okay. You'll have fun. You'll have fun at the tournament. That'll be a really cool experience for you, man. Yeah. I'm ha- I'm happy you've been able to cover this team the last two years, and it, uh, mm-hmm. it's I'm sure it's been a fun ride for you. Absolutely, appreciate you guys. All right, dude. Have a good I one. Talk to you later. All, right. All right. Do you think Shem has to room with Chris? I hope so. That'll really give him the full experience. <laughs> Someone who's been there before. It's something. All right, let's uh, let's pivot to recruiting. All right, let's get to the junior day portion of this podcast. Um, it was a busy weekend, but Florida State also hosted a major recruiting event all at the same time. So we, I counted, uh, there was about sixty prospects in total that we cared about. There was there was more than sixty, but there was sixty of note. Um, There was probably about 12 to 15 offer guys. And the way that broke down, there was about 40 2021 prospects on campus that we cared about. There was about 20 
2022, 23, and even a single 2024 prospect. Um, I'd say there is a group of about 25 to 30 that got there when practice started at 9 a.m. It's kind of a Tallahassee is a tough place to get to for a 9 a.m. start of a practice if you're coming from Orlando or Tampa or somewhere else. Um, but there were about 25 to 30 kids. Um, the rest trickled through throughout the rest of the morning. And FSU had what what is now just become a standard junior day that involved giving them tours of the facility, the locker room, the weight room, meeting rooms, dorms, academics, you name it. They even take a, a, a trip onto the field at Doak. And some of the top targets also got to do photo shoots. We saw a lot of those being done. So let's move on to the junior day and get right into it. Zach, give me the top five prospects, the top five most important prospects that were on campus this weekend. Yeah, so I kind of I outlined, like like you said, like the five most wanted um, by FSU. And first, I'm going to start off with ride, ride receiver Destin Tazon um, out of New Orleans. He's a guy that, you know, I'll, I'll break into it later, but, um, you know, moving on, defensive tackle Lee Hunter, currently committed to Auburn, made his way on campus kind of later in the day. Um, defensive lineman Zion Reeves out of North Carolina, measuring at six, uh, six foot six and a half um, at Florida State. Uh, then you got athlete Dink Jackson, um, who named FSU as leader, and top 247 running back Jalen White are my five guys. All right. And um, what did you, what was your take on the talent level? I wanted to ask you that off the top as well. Yeah, I think if you look at the overall talent level, obviously, um, you know, comparing it to the list of rivals like Clemson or Florida, it's nowhere near, um, you know, the overall talent on campus at those places. Uh, You've got, some of your top targets on campus, but I think, um, you know, there wasn't an overall, like, you know, great amount of talent on campus. And, and that's, that needs to be said because you got to take for recruiting for what it is. Um, mm-hmm. you, you can't, either you can't sugarcoat it. You know, Florida state did not get the top guys on campus. They got some guys. Um, I'm not saying they didn't get anyone, but, uh, they definitely did not, you know, even compare to some of these lists across the country. Um, but you know, like, like guys like Justin Pazon, he's a, you know, a top 100 receiver. Um, I think he ran like a four, three, two or a four in a four, four, two laser time 40 at the, the 2020 national combine in, uh, in Texas in January. So there's guys that, that are ballers definitely on campus, but you know, if you look at, like you said, like there's like 40 guys that we cared about only like 12 that were actually FSU offers. That's not what you usually see at Florida State on a junior day. Um, you usually see that number close to you know twenty or thirty offers on campus. So it definitely mm-hmm. needs to improve. Um, you know, I I wouldn't take this as like a huge negative on recruiting because if you look at you know how spring recruiting is shaping out for Florida State, it's you know it's a lot of top guys coming on the campus. You know, for for non big events like this. So you so Sunday, for instance, you had a guy like uh linebacker Barrett Carter, who's you know, is a top seventy five prospect in the country. The week before you had top two four seven defensive lineman Dylan Brooks, D B Jordan Hancock, um, O lineman Terrence Ferguson. So you've got these top guys coming to campus. It's just, you know, if you're looking at it from just the junior day scope, 
the talent level was not was not you know to par with what we've seen in the past. Right, and and I think a lot of fans are frustrated with that, but like you said, it really shouldn't be taken as a negative. It should just be taken as a dose of reality, and this is where it's at. And you can't sugarcoat it when it comes to uh, multiple schools having visit big visit weekends on the same date. And and those that, that's kind of where you find out what your market is, where you stand in recruiting, is when all these schools go head to head, and you find out okay. Who shows up on our campus? These are the guys that we need to focus on. And I think moving forward, that's exactly what the coaching staff is going to do. Um, you talked to really nearly every kid that left. So just in your opinion, who were some of the guys that you talked to that you felt after the exit interviews maybe FSU is trending for? And who are some of the guys that you felt maybe FSU still has work to be done with? Yeah, so – I'll start off with Dustin Pazon. Obviously, if you read Arnold's 24-7 story on him, he named FSU his leader coming out of the Moore Center on Saturday. Um, you know, he's a guy that the staff is really prioritizing. That's what he mentioned about the visit. Um, Coach, Yak, uh, Coach Yak, David Johnson, um, you know, Coach Dillingham, even head coach Mike Norvell are all making Pazon a big priority in this recruiting class. And I think he sees that, and he sees that he's really wanted at Florida State compared to, um, I think you mentioned, like, the, the difference between want and need, and, you know, Florida State fits both of those. They both need and want him in their class, and I think that that goes a long way with him. He'll be back uh, in Tallahassee on April 18th for Florida State's spring game, and that time he'll bring, or for that visit, he'll bring his, both of his parents along. I think he brought his brother and a coach on, on this visit, so you know, obviously bringing both the parents along is a big deal uh, in recruiting. And I think that visit could go a long way into helping, you know, FSU secure his commitment down the line. Um, next, you know, for guys they're trending with, I'd definitely say uh, Dink Jackson, you know, the 2021 athlete. I think Florida State mm-hmm. is in a great position here. He also named Florida State uh, his leader coming out. Dropped a, of, uh, dropped a crystal ball, Zach. Tell him you dropped the ball, right? Yes, tell him. You were number one. I went went first to the crystal ball right after I talked to Um, Funny story. He almost almost snuck out on us. Uh, I think I was, like, uploading a photo to my computer, and then all the other reporters were, like, sitting there, and he walks right by them. And I I look up, and I'm like, wait, that's Dane Jackson. I I yell his name, and he's kind of joking, like, oh, I thought you guys were going to let me off easy. Um, So that was pretty – it was a pretty funny thing. And then – Right after that, he tells us, you know, Florida State leads. Um, he's a guy that, you know, jokes around a lot. It was a pretty fun interview to do, but he was just kind of explaining that um, they like him, you know, on defense. He's a very versatile player. Like, on his tape, he actually plays some outside linebacker, and he's pretty productive at that position. But FSU likes him kind of in a safety, nickel, you know, corner role, like in that defensive backfield. So that's where they like him, and I think, I think, He's open to that, and, and um, he'll be back in April. I think he mentioned either April 8th is the time he's looking at or the spring game. So that'll be, you know, that'll, those are two dates to just watch out for as far as, you know, Dink Jackson being back on campus. And obviously, um, you know, after talking to him and after the, you know, after getting um, just just seeing his thoughts on Florida State, I think uh, it's, it, easy to see that he could be on commit watch for those two visits. 
Yeah. Uh, Dink Jackson was the only prospect that I put in a crystal ball for. He, he, I was, I heard the audio Zach. He said he's going to come back for most likely the spring game. Um, and it sure, it sure sounded like he's going to be ready to make a decision there. Um, he said he's going to visit Louisville before then, and then maybe Tennessee after. And somebody asked him, well, if, if you commit to Florida State at the spring game, would you still be visiting Tennessee? And then he kind of gave it a laugh and, and said, probably not. So um, I think that I feel very good about Ding Jackson right now. I feel good about Paisan out of Louisiana. Um, you know, and Florida State's never had a rough time recruiting wide receivers or DBs. Um, and I, and I don't think that's going to stop just because they're, they're a little bit down. It's the other positions we have a bigger concern about. Um, there was a little dust up this weekend, or Brendan about, um, what was it? Defensive line recruiting. What was there on the message board? Was there? No, I tried to stay away from the message board after I woke up on, uh, on Sunday morning and saw like a 10 page thread on just dancing gifts in our practice update. So no, I, I, I checked out after that, but you were, Josh, you've been on this for a while now talking about the defensive line recruiting and uh, whether FSU has really done enough to help itself in, in recent years. So uh, I'm interested to get your thoughts. I, I've expressed concern about defensive line recruiting and somehow, you know, it turned into a, a let's all crap on Odell Hagen's type day and his recruiting efforts. And it was very similar to something that happened, I believe, in August with Dante Pimpleton. You know, when when fans on message boards and on Twitters have too much time, it 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 sometimes leads to like really funny stuff, but sometimes it really leads to like really kind of idiotic conversations. And one of the ones that was occurring on the message board is um the inability to separate like the fact that Florida state does have concerning issues with defensive line recruiting versus we have to blame somebody today for it. And, um, you know, it was just, it was Odell's day. Um, I don't know with Odell Hagan's it's a, I think it's a complicated situation because if you look at how much good he's done for this program, I mean, even especially talking about the way that he got, the Florida, the Florida State 2020 class held together in the transition between Willie Taggart and Mike Norvell. I mean, it was Odell Hagens that ordered everybody to the phones two hours after Willie Taggart was hired and said, you know, you guys aren't leaving here until we talk to every single commitment. That was led by Odell Hagens. And we, you go down the road back to 10 years. How did Odell Hagens get Timmy Jernigan to make a decision? Because UF was at the top. He's a kid from Ocala. Um, Timmy Jernigan, Eddie Goldman, Derek Noddy. Do we discount all of that to blame him for what happened over the last two years while Willie Taggart was here? Well, while know. he's still, while he's still like keeping, getting credit for keeping this past year's class intact and, and getting, getting a guy like Demory Tate. Right. Well, Marvin Wilson's only a few years back too. No, I mean the, the lack of, I was thinking about this. Also getting Marvin you, Wilson to return. I mean, do you think if Odell oh, yeah, that, was not here, Marvin Wilson would stay for a senior season? I, I was told the decision to come back was not about the head coach more than it was. I think it helped that uh, he trusted Norvell and that Odell Hagens trusted Norvell, but it was about Odell Hagens as much as anything. Um, yeah. So, so Odell can recruit his butt off and, I am with you. I think what you're getting to, Josh, is that Odell, when he has something to sell, when he has a product to sell, 
he can do it and he can do it at elite level. One other thing too with him, like well, think about on the field, yeah. name name one position that has performed as steadily as defensive tackle over the years. Like when when a blue chip recruit comes in, he almost always fulfills his potential or at least gets close to it. And then you talk about like the the you know Frederick Jones or the uh you know I think what True Thompson is going to be some of the under radar guys who show that they have value too. Like Odell maximizes everything. Uh, so I always mm-hmm. get kind of annoyed when people people talk negatively about Odell. They but I w- but I'll say this about the the, the situation watch as yourself. well. Yes. The defensive line, defensive tackle, and defensive end are both concerns. Um, moving forward, I'm not saying Odell Hagens gets a free pass to do whatever he does for the next foreseeable future. I think everybody, now that Mike Norvell is here and he sets the standard, I think everybody needs to be evaluated year after year. And there's a there's an issue with defensive tackle uh, play on the roster right now that needs to be addressed in recruiting. Moving forward, if Odell can't, address these issues, then I, then I'd be, I'd agree that a change does need to be made. And I think, um, Mike Norvell will evaluate every coach at, at that level. And I don't think there's anybody that deserves a pass. Uh, well, it's complicated because Odell Hagens is going to work for Florida state as long as he wants to work for Florida state. I don't know what that, like, if that changes at defensive tackle coach, like if he would be moved somewhere else, but I'm not at the point where I'm concerned about, what Odell Hagens can do as a defensive line coach. Mm-hmm. I'm not even really concerned about him as a recruiter right now. Man, it's hard. They weren't recruiting elite offensive linemen. They weren't recruiting elite defensive linemen. They weren't recruiting defensive ends. The hardest positions to find under under Willie Taggart, FSU wasn't securing them. They weren't finding elite players. I don't think that's an indictment on Odell Hagens as much as it is uh, what what we were dealing with in terms of not being able to attract top recruits in general. No, I, I agree with you. Uh, but Odell was able to make kids make an unpopular decision 10 years ago. Right. He can and Florida State's back in that situation now. And they either need Odell to do it or somebody else to do it because it's kind of like a chicken or the egg scenario. Yes, we understand it's easier to recruit when you're winning, but something's got to give to create that momentum and get it going in the right direction again. I agree. You got to win football games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's kind of where we're at. You got to, you got to, have these blue chip defensive linemen that are so hard to to acquire uh that teams are coming all over the country to south to to the southeast region because they're that's where they reside usually uh you have to give them a reason to come to florida state so uh, i'm cool with odell higgins i don't think there's i'm not as much of an alarmist of of where he's at i think if he has a product to sell he'll do just fine and i think that needs the whole holistic approach florida state has to be better on the field for Odell to do that. So that that's my thoughts on on Odell. And I get a little uh, frustrated when when people just forget what he's done in just so recently. It's only been a couple years. Like I, I'm not alarmed yet. Mm. Are we are we done? Is that the end of the show? Are we gonna end people on on Odell Hagen's debate, or do we have anything else? Um, I mean, I could. I can touch on some more things with junior day. Go, go for it, Zachary. I think we're, lo- we're, we're losing Josh. This has been a long podcast. Yeah. What do we have for junior day? Then if there's anything that you want to, to, to tease or, or preview coming up as, as well, when it comes to recruiting, that'd be great, man. Yeah. So I just touched on like a couple more prospects. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier, top two, four, seven, Jalen, our running back, Jalen white. He's a guy that FSU moved up a lot with, um, 
over you know over the weekend. Uh, they they actually offered him. I think he reported on Sunday, so it, you know I think they offered him at the junior day. Um, he told us that FSU is in his top five. I think he I, I spoke with him today actually in, in DMs, and he, he mentioned to me that FSU is now his leader, so that's a big deal. Um, he's a guy that's kind of blowing up on the recruiting scene this spring. And then also I would touch on um, an intriguing prospect to me, Zion Reeves, um, measuring a six foot six and a half without shoes on. He's a guy that I think that this staff, you know, mentioning defensive line recruiting, um, I look at him as almost like a strong side end. So I think this staff needs to lock him up early. You know, if they're going to address recruiting needs, they need to lock up the guys that aren't being looked at, you know, by these top programs, but have the potential to be, um, you know, superior athletes on the next level. And I think, I think Zion Reeves is a kid that that's like that. Um, I think he's going to blow up this spring with a bunch of offers and, you know, it's obviously great that Florida State got him on campus to build a relationship with coach JP, John Papuchis. Um, he, he loved the visit. You just got to get him back sometime this spring again, um, to, you know, to continue that trend uh, for Florida State with him. And, and I think they've done a great job so far. The last guy I would note on um, who I think is kind of being on like overlooked on this weekend is wide receiver, South Carolina wide receiver, Joshua Burt. Burrell, I think his last name is how you pronounce it. Yeah. Um, he received a ton of attention from FSU offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham um, and also quarterback assistant Tony Tokar's receivers coach Ron Dugans, um, you know, during the visit. I think they made him a, a you know, really big priority on the trip. Um, the whole staff kind of, I believe they drove over to the basketball game with him, you know, for a little bit. And then they came back um, kind of when I was leaving. I, I, I left like after everyone did um, at the Moore Center because I was writing up a story inside there and also watching the basketball game. So I, you know, I left and the whole, you know, those three guys that I mentioned on the coaching staff were just making him a real priority. And I think um, if you've seen his, you know, what he's posting on Twitter and all that kind of stuff, you know, I think FSU made a big move with him. Uh, he's a guy that they like at the receiver spot. Um, and, and I think, you know, he, all things considered, Florida State's probably in the prime position with him early. So I don't think he's close to making a commitment. I spoke with him about that, and he said, um, you know, to hold off for a bit on anything like that. So, but like I said, they made him a priority, and I don't think that's being talked up about a lot, um, you know, in the stuff we've written in, in other sites this weekend. All right. Good, good stuff, Zach. And you, uh, you, Finished off in style. I know. I uh, know you had to be patient at times during the podcast, but you really cared the end of it. So, kudos to you, sir. You know, Josh. You know what Zach said to me this weekend? I told him he looks stressed out when he looks at me. He goes, "You're stressing me out." So, I think this is an appropriate place to end the podcast because <laughs> I'm rubbing off on Zach negatively. I think, uh, Josh. Shut before me we, out right now. <laughs> I know that's what I do. Is I stress people out. I have dog. A dog. I had another dog too, and they were both stressed out dogs. My wife's stressed out. Everyone's stressed out around me, and I feel like it may be my fault. Don't be too down on yourself. Thanks, buddy. All right, Josh. I was going to ask you a question. I don't really care about the answer, though. I'm going to end the podcast for for on the okay, bench. Thanks <laughs> for on the benches. This is Brendan Sedone. Thanks to Josh. Thanks to Zach. Thanks to Shem. Uh, we'll be back in a couple days to go over some more spring preview stuff as we get more information there. So thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. R.I.P. Chris Lee.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.